Welcome to the Relevant Truth Podcast. My name is Roger Mason. This podcast is dedicated to examining biblical truth. The Bible is overflowing with relevant truth, useful in our everyday lives. Thus the title, Relevant Truth. The Bible was relevant to those that first heard it through the apostles and prophets. It is also timeless truth, which means it is relevant for us today in the 21st century. It is my hope that through this podcast, you will be both encouraged and challenged as we look at the Bible together. Today I want to examine the last words of Jesus spoken from the cross. Matthew, Luke, and John all record these final words of Jesus before he died. The big idea in today's podcast is the final words of Jesus. Reading from Luke 23, verses 34 to 46, we find three of the last seven words of Jesus. Matthew 27 and John 19 record the four other statements that Jesus made from the cross. So let's turn to Luke 23 and start reading at verse 34. Then Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. And they divided his garments and cast lots. And the people stood looking on. But even the rulers with them sneered, saying, He saved others. Let him save himself, if he is the Christ and the chosen of God. The soldiers also mocked him, coming and offering him sour wine and saying, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. And an inscription also was written over him in letters of Greek, Latin, and Hebrew. This is the king of the Jews. Then one of the criminals who were hanged blasphemed him, saying, If you are the Christ, save yourself and us. But the other answering rebuked him, saying, Do you not even fear God, seeing you are under the same condemnation? And we indeed justly, but we receive the due reward for our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said to Jesus, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said to him, Assuredly, I say to you today, you will be with me in paradise. Now it was about the sixth hour, and there was darkness over all the earth until the ninth hour. Then the sun was darkened, and the veil of the temple was torn in two. And when Jesus had cried out with a loud voice, he said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Having said this, he breathed his last. On the day that Karl Marx died, March 14th, 1883, his housekeeper came to him and said, Tell me your last words, and I'll write them down. Marx replied, Go on, get out. Last words are for fools who haven't said enough. These were Karl Marx's last words. Voltaire said, I shall go to hell and you shall go with me. This he spoke to the doctor at his bedside. P.T. Barnum, the famous circus showman, died at 82. His last words were, What were today's receipts? He wanted to know how much money he had made at Madison Square Gardens. Sir Winston Churchill's last words were, I'm bored with it all. As he was dying, Alfred Hitchcock said, One never knows the ending. One has to die to know exactly what happens after death. 
As Benjamin Franklin lay dying at the age of 84, his daughter told him to change positions in bed so he could breathe more easily. Franklin's last words were, A dying man can do nothing easy. George Washington said, It is well. I die hard, but I am not afraid to go. The great preacher Charles Spurgeon said in his last words, Jesus died for me. John Wesley said, The best of all is, God is with us. Mark indicates that Jesus had been placed on the cross at the third hour. That's 9 a.m. in the morning. Now it was the third hour, and they crucified him. That's Mark 15 and verse 25. Matthew tells us that Jesus cried out and died about the ninth hour. That's 3 p.m. in the afternoon. Now from the sixth hour until the ninth hour, that is noon until 3 p.m., there was darkness over the land. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice. That's Matthew 27, verses 45 and 46. When Jesus was suspended on the cross for about six hours from 9 a.m. to 3 p.m., dying for the sins of humanity, he spoke. Jesus spoke seven times while on the cross, and his dying words are important for us to understand. Today, let's examine the last seven statements that Jesus speaks from the cross. The first statement that Jesus makes from the cross is, Father, forgive them, found in Luke 23, verse 34. Notice he addressed the Father. Father, forgive them. Three times Jesus addresses the Father from the cross. The first statement that Jesus makes is, Father, forgive them, found in Luke 23, verse 34. The fourth statement that Jesus makes, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Found in Matthew 27, verse 46. And then in the seventh statement that Jesus makes, again he addresses the Father. Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Found in Luke 23, verse 46. Three of the seven statements that Jesus makes from the cross are addressed to the Father. He addresses the Father when he enters into his suffering on the cross. He addresses the Father in the middle of his suffering. And he addresses the Father when he emerges victorious from his suffering on the cross. Look at the way that Jesus was treated by men. Israel as a whole rejected him as their Messiah. His own disciples fled in fear when Jesus was arrested. And the Father allowed his Son to suffer on the cross without intervening. When Jesus was dying, he spoke to the Father. Notice his appeal, forgive them. The Greek text indicates that that was a repeated prayer spoken many times. So he kept on forgiving them, is the idea that is found in the Greek. Jesus kept asking the Father to forgive them. Those that rejected him, he forgave them. Those that mocked him, he forgave them. Those that beat and abused him, both physically and verbally, he forgave them. Those that nailed him to the cross, both his hands and his feet, he forgave them. Those that lifted him up on the cross as a common criminal, he forgave them. Those that crucified him, he forgave them. 
Jesus forgave those that mocked and abused him. It is important that the Christian learn to forgive, regardless of the circumstances that they face. Why is it that some Christians still don't get this? Forgiveness is a way of life for the Christian. The whole statement that Jesus made here in Luke 23:43 is, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. Jesus not only prays that God would forgive them, that crucified him, but he also defended them. He argued on their behalf, for they do not know what they are doing. They were ignorant of who Jesus was and the enormity of their actions. We are often ignorant of the seriousness of our sinful actions. Those who put Jesus to death acted in ignorance, not really understanding who it was that they were killing on the cross. Stephen followed this example of Jesus and interceding for his executors in Acts 7 verse 60. This is speaking of Stephen. Then he knelt down and cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not charge them with this sin. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. Luke Morgan comments on the attitude of Jesus on the cross with these words. In the soul of Jesus, there was no resentment, no anger, no lurking desire for punishment upon the men who maltreated him. Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. So Jesus held no resentment, no anger, and no desire to punish the men that were crucifying him on the cross. Now let's move on to the second statement that Jesus makes from the cross. So the second statement that Jesus makes from the cross is this, Today you will be with me in paradise. That's found in Luke 23, verse 43. Notice that Jesus was not consumed by his own personal pain, but he was still ministering to others around him. Jesus is dying with two thieves. They were partners in crime, one crucified on each side of Jesus. One received Jesus and the other rejected him. The whole statement found in Luke is, Assuredly, I say to you today, you will be with me in paradise, found in Luke 23:43. The statement speaks of the salvation that Jesus offers us. It is a salvation of grace. This thief didn't deserve forgiveness or salvation or God's favor. He was a career criminal. He was being justly punished for his wrong. He simply asked Jesus, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. That's Luke 23, verse 42. He was asking for grace, and he received grace. Secondly, it is a salvation that is secure. Not, I think I got it, or I hope I got it. Jesus said, Assuredly, I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. It is yours. You have it. God's eternal salvation is yours for the asking. There is no doubt in this statement, Today you will be with me in paradise. It is a salvation that is personal. Assuredly, I say to you, God loves us personally. Jesus died for us personally. Jesus meets us individually. So it is a personal salvation. 
It is also a present salvation. Today you will be with me in paradise. You receive it right now. You can enjoy it right now. It is not reserved for the future. It is for the right now. And then lastly, it is a Christ-centered salvation. Today you will be with me. Salvation means knowing Jesus. It is not centered on doing good things. It is not centered on doing religious stuff or following church rules. It is not a salvation through good works. It is a salvation based on relationship with the person of Jesus Christ. It is a glorious salvation. You will be with me in paradise. This word paradise literally means garden or park. The Garden of Eden in Genesis 2 and verse 8 was a paradise. In later Jewish thought, paradise was the place that the righteous dead went after death. Jesus promised eternal life to the thief. You will be with me in paradise. And so we've talked about our salvation is a salvation of grace It is a salvation that is secure. It is a salvation that is personal. It is a present salvation. It is a Christ-centered salvation. And it is a glorious salvation. Matthew and Mark tell us that the thieves were crucified on either side of Jesus. And the criminals who were crucified with him also shouted the same insults at him. That's Matthew 27, verse 44 in the New Living Translation. The insults that the criminals shouted were the same insults that the religious leaders were shouting at Jesus. The New King James Version uses the word reviled. They reviled him. Matthew 27 and verse 44. Only Luke records one of the thieves repented and sought mercy as he suffered death on the cross. Charles Erdman comments on this event, and I quote, This story reveals the truth to us that salvation is conditioned upon repentance and faith. Out of a life of sin and shame, the penitent robber passed immediately into a state of blessedness. The very essence of the joy which lies beyond death consists in personal communion with Christ. The heart of the promise to the dying thief was this, Thou shalt be with me. This is our blessed assurance that to depart is to be with Christ. The third statement that Jesus makes from the cross is this, Behold your son, behold your mother. That's found in John 19 verses 26 and 27. Jesus gives John the responsibility to look after his mother. This amazes me that Jesus is still thinking of his mother while he's being crucified on the cross and enduring such pain. He is not consumed and absorbed with his personal pain and suffering, but he speaks to John about his mother. Something else is going on here as well. John had fled from Jesus when he was arrested. John is the only disciple that came to the cross, and at the cross he was forgiven and restored to Jesus. John did not stand in a safe or easy place when he stood at the cross at the crucifixion of Jesus. And by standing at the foot of the cross, it was uncomfortable for him because he had abandoned Jesus. Jesus spoke to John in these words, Behold your mother. 
What Jesus was saying to John was, John, take my place. Look after my mother and do what I would do with her. This is what all the disciples of Jesus are to do. We are to take the place of Jesus in this world and do what he would do. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. Those are the words of Jesus found in John 20, verse 21. Jesus gave John responsibility for his mother. Coming to the cross involves taking on responsibility, living for Jesus, and loving others. When Jesus therefore saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing by, he said to his mother, Woman, behold your son. Then he said to the disciple, Behold your mother. And from that hour, that disciple took her to his own home. That's John 19, verses 26 and 27. Jesus placed his mother Mary in the care of John. John was to look after Mary as his own mother. Jesus, even in his agony, was concerned about the future welfare of his mother. As the eldest son, it was his responsibility to provide his mother with protection and provision. Jesus passed this responsibility on to the disciple whom he loved. That was John. Jesus here instructs John to take care of Mary as if she were his own mother. John obeys and takes Mary to his own home. And from that hour, that disciple took her to his own home. That's John 19 and verse 27. So let's move on to the fourth statement that Jesus makes from the cross. The fourth statement that Jesus makes from the cross is this, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That's found in Matthew 27 verse 46. This was a quote from Psalm 22 called the Crucifixion Psalm. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from helping me and from the words of my groaning? That's Psalm 22, verse 1. Psalm 22 gives a detailed description of the crucifixion of Jesus hundreds of years before it was literally fulfilled in his death at Calvary. There is a great mystery surrounding these words, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus cried out, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, which is Aramaic for my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? The fact that Jesus spoke in Aramaic, the tongue of his birth, may be another sign of the extreme stress that he was encountering on the cross. Notice also the duplication of the words, my God. Jesus cries out, my God, my God. In Hebrew, when a name is duplicated, it signifies intimacy and love. Let me give you some examples of this. When God cried out to Moses in Exodus 3 and verse 4, it says this, So when the Lord saw that he turned aside to look, God called to him from the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses, and he said, Here I am. This same thing is repeated with Abraham, with Jacob, and with Samuel. Each time that God called out to each one of these four men, he called out, Samuel, Samuel, or Abraham, Abraham, or Moses, Moses. 
there's a duplication in the calling out to these persons, which signifies intimacy and love. When David grieved for the death of his son Absalom, this is what he said, but the king covered his face, and the king cried out with a loud voice, O my son Absalom, Absalom, my son, my son. That's found in Second Samuel 19 and verse 4. And so these words here, the repetition of the name Absalom, talks about overwhelming grief and love that David had for his dead son Absalom. In the New Testament, when Jesus predicted Peter's denials, this is what he says in Luke 22, verses 31 and 32. And the Lord said, Simon, Simon, indeed Satan has asked for you, that he may sift you as wheat, but I have prayed for you. And so here we see in the words of the Lord Jesus, he speaks to Simon in affectionate terms. Simon, Simon, he says to Peter, speaking with affection. Look at how Jesus affectionately addresses Martha in Luke 10 and verse 41. And Jesus answered and said to her, Martha, Martha, you are worried and troubled about many things. Again, we see in these words, the repetition of the word Martha. We see the affection of Jesus addressing Martha. Look at the love that Jesus had towards the people of Jerusalem. As we read in Matthew 23 and verse 37, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the one who killed its prophets and stoned those who are sent to her, how often I wanted to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wing, but you were not willing. And so here again we see Jesus affectionately addressing Jerusalem, the city of Jerusalem, and the people of Jerusalem with affection and grief that they had rejected Jesus as their Messiah. When Jesus cried out, My God, my God, it was a cry of intimacy and love, not a cry of defeat. No human can understand the theological significance of this cry. What was going on at this moment when Jesus cried out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Was it the great physical suffering that Jesus was experiencing that caused him to cry out like this? Was it the abandonment of his disciples that caused him to cry out to God? Was it the rejection of the nation of Israel that caused him to cry out like this? I don't believe it was for any of these reasons. But it was at that moment that Jesus became our sin-bearer. At that moment, God the Father laid on him, that is Jesus, the sins of the world. For he, that is God the Father, made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. That's 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 21. Because God is holy, he cannot overlook sin. On the contrary, he must punish sin. The Lord Jesus had no sin of his own, but he took on the guilt of our sins upon himself. It was the separation from God the Father that agonized the heart of Jesus. The sense of being forsaken was not necessarily caused by God the Father looking away from him. 
but from his looking at him in wrath as he was looking in judgment at a condemned sinner. When the father looked at Jesus, he looked at him as a condemned sinner. And I believe when he spoke these words, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It was at this moment that Jesus became the sin bearer of the world and the father viewed him as a forsaken condemned sinner because the sins of the world were laid on Jesus at that time. When God, the judge, looked down and saw our sins upon the sinless substitute, Jesus Christ, he withdrew from the son of his love. Jesus, who had never experienced sin, now became sin and experienced the full wrath of God on the cross. Jesus, who had never experienced separation from the Father, is now forsaken of the Father. Elizabeth Barlett Browning beautifully captures this moment in what she calls Emmanuel's orphan cry. Listen to these words. Deserted, God could separate from his own essence rather. And Adam's sins have swept between the righteous son and father. Yea, once Emmanuel's orphaned cry, his universe has shaken. It went up single, echoless, my God, I am forsaken. You may have felt forsaken and abandoned by God, but because of Jesus, the Father will never forsake you or leave you. You see, Jesus was forsaken so that we would never be forsaken. Jesus took care of our sin so that we may come into communion with the Father. Let's move on to the fifth statement that Jesus made on the cross. The fifth statement that Jesus made from the cross was this, I thirst, found in John 19 and verse 28. Jesus was human as you and I are human. He needed sleep. He felt pain. He experienced thirst. All of these experiences are human experiences. When Jesus died on the cross, he experienced physical suffering. He suffered on all levels as we do, spiritually mentally, emotionally, and physically. Do you know what this means? It means that Jesus can empathize completely with us because he experienced the whole range of human experiences like we do. That is why Hebrews 4 and verse 15 tells us that we have a great high priest who can sympathize with our weaknesses but was in all points tempted as we are yet without sin. Because Jesus experienced the whole range of human experiences and temptations like we as humans do. Jesus can identify with our pain, with our hurts, with our needs completely because he was human like us. The words I thirst are the words of the suffering son of man. Jesus is not in some easy chair in heaven, ignoring the sufferings of mankind. He, at one time, came down to earth, lived as a human, experienced a whole range of human experiences, and he knows what that feels like. He knows what we experience down here. Jesus has not forgotten the agony that he experienced on Calvary. And he is not blind to our suffering today. When Stephen was being stoned to death, 
the Bible tells us that he looked into heaven. And what did he see? It says, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. That's Acts 7 and verse 56. Why was Jesus standing? Because of what was going on with Stephen. He was being stoned to death, and this was a matter of great concern to Jesus. That's why he was standing rather than sitting. This statement, I thirst, is an evidence of the physical suffering of Jesus. His cry, I thirst, indicates physical thirst, which was intensified by crucifixion. It also reminds us that greater than physical suffering was the thirst for the salvation of mankind. That's why Jesus went to the cross. Let's move on to the sixth statement that Jesus made from the cross. The sixth statement that Jesus makes from the cross is this, it is finished, found in John 19 and verse 30. The words, it is finished, is one word in the Greek language. It means it is finished, it stands finished, and it will always be finished. It is completed action in past time. The work of redemption that his father had given him to do was completed. The pouring out of his soul as an offering for sin was completed. The work of redemption and of atonement was completed. Jesus finished what the Father sent him to do. It was done. There is nothing more that needs to be done. The way has been provided through which sinners can be saved from sin. The finished work of the Lord Jesus Christ on the cross of Calvary is complete. The word to Telestai, translated, it is finished, was a common word used in the first century. However, it meant different things depending on who used the word. When the servant or slave used the word to telestai, it usually meant it is finished. A servant or slave would say to his master, I have finished the work which you have given me to do. These are the words of Jesus who prays to the Father in John 17 and verse 4. Jesus died on the cross after he had finished the work of redemption, and that is why he says, Tetelestai, the word of a servant or slave, to his master, it is finished. It is also a word used by a priest. When a priest used the word Tetelestai, it usually meant the sacrificial animal is perfect. The priest was responsible for examining the sacrificial animal. To fulfill the requirements of the law, the animal had to be perfect. After the priest had examined the animal and it was acceptable, he would say, it is perfect. He would use the Hebrew equivalent to this Greek word to telestai, and he would be indicating that this animal was perfect for sacrifice. Jesus is the perfect, faultless, sacrificial lamb of God. The word tetelestai was also used by a merchant. When a merchant used this word tetelestai, it would mean paid in full. When a debt was fully paid, the merchant would write on the bill tetelestai, which means paid in full. When Jesus died on the cross, he understood that his redemptive work would pay the full debt of sin for mankind. That is why he said tetelestai paid in full. 
The seventh statement that Jesus made from the cross was, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Luke 23 and verse 46. This statement says four things about the death of Jesus. Jesus really died. Some suggest that he didn't die on the cross. But when they came to Jesus and saw that he was already dead, they did not break his legs. But one of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear, and immediately blood and water came out. That's John 19, verses 33 and 34. The Roman executioners were responsible for making sure that the accused was dead. The officials examined his body to confirm his death. They stuck a spear in his side and blood and water came out. John 19 tells us, confirming that Jesus was really dead, that he had died on the cross. Jesus tasted death for us so that we don't have to die spiritually. We also don't have to be afraid of death because Jesus conquered death. Jesus died confidently. When Jesus says, into your hands I commit my spirit, he is quoting from Psalm 31. So let's look at it. Psalm 31 and verse 5. Into your hands I commit my spirit. You have redeemed me, O Lord God of truth. That's Psalm 31 and verse 5. Jesus had willingly given himself over into the hands of sinners, but now he was giving himself over to the Father in death. And then Jesus died willingly. John 10, verses 15, 17, and 18. I lay down my life for the sheep. My Father loves me because I lay down my life, that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of myself. I have power to lay it down, and I have power to take it up again. The Roman soldiers didn't kill Jesus. Jesus died because he gave himself on to death. The scripture that we just read in John 10 tells us that no one can take his life from him. And so therefore the Roman soldiers did not take his life. He did not die because the Roman soldiers crucified him and killed him. Jesus died because he chose to die. Having fulfilled every command of the Father and every prophecy of Scripture, Jesus voluntarily died. It says in John 19 and verse 30, And bowing his head, he gave up his spirit. Jesus voluntarily and willingly died for the sins of humanity. The phrase that he gave up his spirit emphasizes the fact that he died voluntarily. He determined the time of his death, and then he chose to die at that time. In full control of his faculties, he dismissed his spirit. He gave up his spirit as an act. No mere man could accomplish this. Only Jesus could do this. He died victoriously. He committed his spirit into the hands of God, his Father, and voluntarily yielded up his life. Luke 23 and verse 46. And when Jesus had cried out with a loud voice, he said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Having said this, he breathed his last. He completed the redemptive work that God the Father had given him to do, and then he died. So Jesus voluntarily went to the cross to purchase redemption for all of mankind. 
We have forgiveness of sins because Jesus is our substitute and died in our place. Why? So that we could be with him. As the thief on the cross reached out to Jesus for salvation, Jesus said to him, Today you will be with me. The Christian has the hope of eternity that makes all we face in this life manageable. Because we know regardless of what we face in this life, regardless of how difficult it is, we will be with Jesus in eternity someday. Our life on earth is not all there is. It is only a preparation for eternity with Christ. Join us in two weeks for the next episode of Relevant Truth. Never miss an episode of the podcast by subscribing on iTunes. If you like this podcast, why not rate and review the podcast on iTunes? To contact me, there's a website you can visit, relevanttruthpodcast.com where you'll find an archive of all of these messages and book recommendations. You can also contact me at rockrevmason79 at gmail.com. That is R-O-C-K, rock, R-E-V, rev, M-A-S-O-N, mason, 79 at gmail.com. Or at the Facebook page, Relevant Truth Podcast. The music used on this podcast was produced by my son, Brent Mason. We will be back in two weeks. Thanks for listening.